Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hey guys, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to do something a little bit different here. Um, typically, we'd have a little bit of an intermission, but because... Uh, because Greg was able to do prayer concerns for us tonight, we're just going to jump right into tonight's message. I want to welcome you here to Lux Digital Church. If you don't know me, my name is Mark, and I'm the pastor here at Lux, and it's such an honor and a privilege to have you here with us tonight. Um, man, if you're here with us live, I just want to encourage you. Um, becoming part of a live stream is great, and I think it's helpful, but there's something so much more uh, with being part of the church, with being part of the community. Um, the church does have, you can you can experience sort of an individual spiritual experience inside the church, but there's this context of community that helps us sharpen one another and grow, and so I just want to really encourage you, if you're here with us tonight, stop by Discord after service, grab that link, there's a link in the panels below, and there's also probably a link in chat that's been there a couple of times we'll throw it up towards the end of service as well come and join us in discord and if you've never used discord before listen we just released a new video and so as soon as you come in you're gonna see that video watch that video it'll give you a little heads up about how to get connected to that but man we would just love to have you and if you're listening later whether that's over a VOD or a YouTube video or over a podcast let me just say we're thankful for you we see you as a member of our church and we love you we appreciate you and we're so glad that you're here and we also just want to encourage you I want to encourage you to come and join us live on Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. EST at twitch.tv slash Lux Digital Church. And I realize if your time zone, that makes that impossible for you. We know we have people who are gathered with us here at Lux from all over the globe. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to have people as far away as Australia on the other side of the planet um, who can't join us at a normal time but can join us later on. And we just want to let you know that we appreciate you and we value you even if you can't make it here live with us right now. Um, we just love you and we're thankful for you. Right now here at Lux, we're in the middle of a series called Freedom and Fruit. It's actually called New Beginnings, Freedom and Fruit. And you, you know, you've probably seen the logo. And if, if you've been at Lux over the past couple of weeks, you've certainly heard us talking about this. And in this series, we have been diving deep into one central question. And that central question is this, how good is good enough? Now, last week, we really actually reached sort of a breaking point with that. We pulled a lot of the strings together and we just kind of had it pulled together exactly where we wanted. And we really answered that question last week. So if you missed last week's message, it might actually be a little bit confusing to you because these messages kind of build off of one another. Because what we're doing is we're going through a book in the Bible called the book of Galatians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're kind of digging deep into each section of that book. And I can't take time to recap everything that we've gone through, but if you watch part five of this series, you will capture at least a portion of that if you can't go back and watch all of them. But let me just give a really brief recap. So the book of Galatians that we've learned about as was written by a man named Paul, and it was actually originally a letter. He was writing a letter to a grouping of churches in modern-day Turkey that he had personally started, and he's writing the letter as encouragement and correction. The main subject of this entire entire letter is the concept of what is the role of the Jewish laws, regulations, celebrations, and festivals in the life of a follower of Jesus? Do they need to continue to observe all of the Jewish rites 
and rituals, or are they okay to not observe many of the rules and the laws that the Jews had? And we've been attacking that from all sorts of different angles. Mainly, the main point and problem and the point of sort of tension for the Jews was the idea of circumcision. Did new Gentile, non-Jewish followers of Jesus need to become Jews before they could become followers of Jesus through the ritual of circumcision? And there was a group of Jews who had come to the churches in Galatia or modern-day Turkey that had sort of confused the new believers there. Many of them, non-Jewish people, didn't have a good knowledge of what the Old Testament said. They didn't have a good knowledge of what the Old Testament meant. And so they had begun listening to these Jews who had come from Jerusalem and convinced them that they needed to actually follow all of the Jewish laws before they could become followers of Jesus. And Paul is writing them to, writing to them to refute that and be able to explain to them why it is that we're saved through grace with faith in Jesus, not through following a bunch of rules and regulations. Now, the interesting part is last week was really packed. It was, it was a very theologically packed message. I was excited to be able to deliver it. This week, I'm excited to deliver it, but for very different reasons, because this week's message kind of takes a bit of a turn. Now, the theme of the letter stays through true throughout the entire letter, and you'll see some reoccurring themes, because Paul really just takes this idea of trying to follow the law. He's just attacking it from like 10 different directions in this letter. So each week, we pick it up, and we're just going at it in a slightly different way and coming to a very similar conclusion. But this is sort of like a transitioning paragraph where Paul begins the process of sort of comforting the churches and the people in the churches. And I love this passage. It's right at the end of chapter 3 and right, it, right as it leads up to chapter 4 of the book of Galatians, keeping in mind that we break the book of Galatians into six chapters, but at the time that it was written, it wasn't broken up into chapters. It was just one, you know, lengthy letter that was written by Paul, likely through a scribe um, or someone who was transcribing his words and then was sent out to the church in Galatia. So let's look at the passage for tonight, which is going to be Galatians 3, 23 through 29. And if you want to follow along with us, there is a Bible Gateway link in the chat right now that you can actually go and grab. Um, that Bible Gateway link will take you to the scripture that we're using tonight. I had it messed up last week. I have it fixed this week, so you should be able to, to, to jump in there. Um, let's read it together. It says this, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed, this is Paul talking to all the believers, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, us meaning the followers of Jesus and the people in the church, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Before I jump into the story for tonight, I do want to address the fact that we bring up a man named Abraham in this passage. We're not going to talk about Abraham tonight, but we've talked about him thoroughly in, in messages four and five this week. So uh, if you want, take a break, go back and listen to four and five if you're listening later on, 
or after service tonight. If you're live with us, go back and catch four and five, and you'll get a better grasp of who Abraham is and why he is so significant to the Jewish people and to us as followers of Jesus. So let me tell you a story. Um, when Jen was pregnant with our first child, um, I was really excited to become a father. I was really excited to be a dad. And, and to be honest with you, throughout my life, like I've always really wanted to be a dad. And I've always wanted to be the dad of little girls. And I don't know exactly why that is, but I was sort of tracing back some memories this past week. And it's, it's always unique to me what your brain remembers and what your brain doesn't remember. Isn't that, isn't that unique? Because there's certain memories that just sort of stuck with you and other ones that didn't. And I traced back my memories to a time when I was probably seven or eight years old. We were in my parents' backyard, uh, me and my little brother, and they had some friends over. And those friends had a little girl. And the little girl, I don't remember her name. I don't remember who the friends were, but she sort of attached to me as a seven or eight year old. And I sort of became her babysitter or guardian for the night. So my parents out, sat outside around the picnic table and around the fire ring and they talked with their friends. And I sort of entertained this little girl and kept her busy. I pulled her around in a red wagon. We played together and played tag in the yard. And, and I remember that night pretty vividly, even though I don't remember all of the particular elements of it, I do remember having an interaction with this little girl. And, and so for me, uh, I, it was in that night, I think this is why I remembered it. It was that night that I remember deciding or thinking in my brain, man, I really want to have a little girl when I get older. I really want to have a little girl when I get older. And uh, when my wife became pregnant, I just knew. Like, it was just in me. I knew that we were going to have a girl. And when our second child came around, I said the same thing. Man, I just know. I have this hunch. I have this feeling, this vibe that we're going to have a girl. Now, could I have actually had some sort of vibe or feeling that we were going to have a girl and it was accurate? Maybe. Or maybe I just was really bold and confident in predicting that, knowing that I had a 50-50 shot of being right. But either way, I was right both times, and we've had two little girls. My oldest uh, is Brooklyn, and my youngest daughter, who is the one who wouldn't sleep tonight, uh, her name is Aria. And it's been such a joy and a pleasure to to have children and, and to be able to raise little girls. But the, the the birth story of my first child was really unique, because you know we had prepared, we were going to be new parents, and you know, the birth of every one of your children, I think, is unique and enjoyable. But the first one is special because it's the first time you're having any of these experiences. And so we went through the pregnancy and the baby was healthy and we were approaching the due date and we prepared and remodeled this terrible like middle room with a ceramic floor and turned it into a nursery right next to our bedroom. And, you know, we, we did all of the stuff, right? We didn't go to the classes, but Jen read the books and I guess I didn't read the books. I guess I didn't really do much of anything. Um, but we were preparing for it for sure. Like I did the nursery. I definitely did that. I know I built the crib and, uh, and we were getting ready, you know, the vitamins and all of the stuff, you know, you go down to the hospital and you take the tour. Well, actually the day that we were supposed to take the tour a couple weeks before Brooklyn was due, she had already arrived. Um, because we found out that Jen had preeclampsia about two weeks before Brooklyn was due and we had to go to the hospital to get her checked out. So we went to the hospital and preeclampsia isn't something to joke around about. But when we got there, Jen went into labor and we were really thankful to have already been at the hospital uh, when that happened. That was a huge blessing to us because we were already there when she was going into labor. And we don't know if that was sort of the stress of the situation or if that was just the fact that, you know, Brooklyn decided that that was the time that she was going to arrive. But we got sent to a hospital room and we got, she, Jen got induced to sort of speed up the process. And, 
you know, time turned into hours and hours and hours and hours. And it's like, there's nothing that's longer than being stuck confined in a hospital room awaiting for your first child to arrive. And, you know, at this particular stage in my life, there was nothing scarier to me than losing my wife in childbirth. That that idea was horrifying to me. That That's the thing I was more afraid of than anything else in life was that I could lose my wife in childbirth. I would lose my wife and then be raising a child on my own. And I don't know why. I mean, I think it's a scary thing for most people. I mean, most people are safe during their pregnancy and, and during the birthing process. But I was very scared of that. In fact, I didn't have a lot of anxiety at this stage in my life. The last time I had really experienced anxiety was probably like middle school, early high school, and I was still dealing with a lot of bullying. Um, and I had not really had much anxiety, but I had a lot of anxiety about that, that worry of losing my wife in childbirth. And so throughout the weeks leading up to it, I had a lot of sleepless nights and I spent a lot of time in prayer, just praying that God would watch over my wife and my new daughter. So the day had come and we were in the hospital room and what seemed like eons passed. And I had spent way too much money on a stupid iPhone game in order to pass the time. And um, finally the time came and, and Jen went into labor and, and uh, we were, she was giving birth to our daughter. And, uh, you know, really after just a handful of pushes, a screaming, healthy baby girl arrived and Brooklyn had come into our lives. And, and we instantly became parents of this new helpless child. And my mother-in-law was in the room there with us and it was beautiful. And they took my new baby girl and they put it on my wife, put her on my wife and she held her. And then, and then something changed, something snapped. All of a sudden, the room went from this sort of like peaceful place, welcoming our child into this world to a place of kind of chaos. The doctor, the birthing doctor started ordering people around. There was like an alarm and all of these new surgeons and doctors rushed into the room. They took my daughter from my wife and a nurse had her and I and my mother-in-law were asked to sit out of the way on a couch and I didn't know what was going on. My wife suddenly had two IVs in her arms and she had oxygen on her face and I wasn't able to get even able to get over and hold her hand at that time. And I didn't know what was going on, but she got really pale and it soon became very apparent to me as I was watching what was going on that she was losing a tremendous amount of blood. And the room went from like one of my best dreams of becoming the father of a little girl to one of my worst nightmares of watching my wife fade away in front of my eyes. And I didn't know what was going to happen. The room went from congratulations, mom and dad, you have a new healthy baby girl to a bunch of medical lingo that was being thrown around in urgent voices trying to save the life of my wife and a bunch of stuff that I didn't understand. And I sat there totally and completely helpless on that couch. I, I had nothing that I could do but pray. I couldn't hold her hand. I, I couldn't help the doctors. I couldn't step in. There was nothing that I could do in this moment but watch and pray. And I remember sitting there on that couch and praying. And, and honestly, I didn't even know what to pray. So I was just praying in tongues. And I'm, I'm just sitting there praying, asking God in, in a language that I didn't understand. God, would you please intercede? Would you do something for my wife? Because I can't do anything and I can't lose her. And a few moments later, they brought in like a syringe with like this miraculous drug in it. And um, they gave it to my wife and the bleeding stopped and she was okay. And the doctors came in every now and then to check on her to make sure the bleeding hadn't continued. And 
a little bit later, we went to the intensive care unit for a blood transfusion and our daughter came with us. And after a few hours in the ICU and a blood transfusion, we were able to leave and, um, and go to our own room and completely and totally exhausted and starving. We received one of the worst meals from the hospital that I've ever had in my life and promptly threw it away and ordered Jimmy John's. And, uh, and we were parents. We were parents. But in that moment, there was this, I mean, I wasn't Jen. I don't know what she went through. But in that moment, there was these two very unique things that were going on in me. There was this very strong reality that I had become a father. That there was this helpless baby girl who was totally and completely dependent on me and my wife for every bit of her care. I was the only one. We were the only ones that were going to be able to provide for her. And at the same exact time, I was a full-grown man sitting on a couch entirely and totally helpless. The only thing that I could do was go to my heavenly father and beg him for help, asking him to intercede, asking him to do anything. In the end of the day, Jen was fine, and I'm eternally thankful for the doctors who were insanely vigilant and super fast and the nursing staff that did their job getting the medication ready for the miracle drug that ended up saving her life, for the person who donated blood for the blood transfusion for Jen, for everyone who was involved that day. But most of all, I am so incredibly thankful for God who stepped in in that moment. Now, I know there was a miracle drug that took place and there were doctors who were vigilant and all of those things, but I just remember at that time being so thankful for my Heavenly Father because whenever I was in a moment of absolute desperate need, I did not know where to turn. But I was able to turn to Him as a child would turn to a, to a father. As a child would turn to a father. There is a reason that God describes Himself as a father. And I think you really begin to understand that once you have kids. Once children enter your life, your understanding of who God is really begins to reshape and transform. Because you begin to understand the love that you have for a child, which is unique. It's not that I don't love my life. I love my life, my wife incredible, like an incredible amount. But but the love that I have for my daughters is different. It's distinct. It's unique. There's something different about the way that I engage with my girls because I'm their guardian and I'm their protector. It's like when Brooklyn was born, it was as though there was part of me that was born outside of me. And I was desperate to be able to provide for and to protect this, this central piece of who I was that was now detached from me. And this radically began to shift my understanding of how God relates to us. Because it's important to understand that God relates to us as a father relates to a child. As a loving father relates to a child. And this is different than the relationship that the Jews and that we have with the law. The law, meaning the first handful of books of the Bible and also all of the rest of Scripture that gives us commands, demands, and rules. And I think that Paul really captured that well when he said this. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul shows here this definitive shift between the way that we relate to God and the way that we relate to the law. See, he, he pictures the law as a guardian, almost like a supervisor or a temporary 
parent and God the Father being our eternal loving dad. And I think it's a really beautiful representation. I, I think it's gorgeous. In fact, later on in the book of Galatians, Paul would even say that we cry out to him as Abba. Abba means daddy. And in moments of my life in the most desperation, and trust me, in that hospital room on that couch, I was crying out to him, not as father who's high and mighty, not as father who's distant and far from me, but as daddy. Daddy, would you please... Would you please hear me? And you know, my daughters call me daddy. And there's a uniqueness and an intimacy that goes along with that word. It's not father. It's not dad. It's not papa. It's, it's daddy. You know, we have a, a really great community of people here in our small town that we do life with. And many of them have young kids. But we spend more time probably with my next door neighbors than any. Um, our next door neighbors have two little girls and they're about the age of my daughters. And most days my daughters and their daughters play together really well. And so, I don't know, maybe about three or four months ago, we decided that we were going to start trading babysitting for date nights. So once a month, we'll take their girls and we usually listen to loud kids music on Alexa and dance with them and feed them dinner. And, and then once a month, they take our girls and our girls get to go hang out and play with toys and read books at their place. And then the other couple gets to go out to dinner, just the two of them without kids, which if you have kids and mine are four and almost two, you know, it is a living nightmare to go to dinner with them. It is not fun. I would rather eat rocks most of the time than try to take these kids out to eat unless it's Texas Roadhouse. They love Texas Roadhouse. Those rules are so good. Um, anyway, so when we watch over their kids, I love my neighbor's kids. I do. I love them. They're great kids. They're really awesome little girls. And I love that they play with my daughters, but they're not my daughters. I'm their guardian for a time, a couple of hours, once a month. And, and my neighbors trust that as their guardian, that I'll protect them and I'll sacrifice for them, that I'll provide for them, that I'll love them. And I do, I do those things. And if I had to sacrifice myself to protect them, I would. But the reality is they're not my kids. While I provide for them and give them dinner and we love them while they're with us, um, the reality is, is that I don't read them bedtime stories at night. I'm not going to buy them Christmas presents because they're not my girls. My relationship with them is different than my relationship with my own biological children. Not because I don't care about them, but because there's something different about my kids, the way I provide for my kids, the way I love my kids. And, and Paul is saying this is very similar with the law. Yes, we can follow the law and it will probably provide us a good life. We, if you follow the law to a T, for the most part, yeah, your life may be restricted a good bit, but you'll probably prosper. You'll probably live with a good deal of wisdom. You'll avoid a lot of heartbreak and punishment throughout your life. You'll avoid doing anything that's going to land you in prison most likely. And so if you did all of the things that largely the law taught you to do, that guardian would protect you in order to provide a half decent life for you. But there's something different about the relationship between a father and a child than there is between the guardian and the child. So there's something unique about the way that God relates to you. And that God loves you as a father loves a child. Now, what's unique in this conversation is the fact that not all of us have had a good dad. Some of us are blessed. I've had a great father. 
My father's awesome. I love him very much. I was just at his house this past weekend helping him install some carpet, and, and we spent a lot of time together. He helps me work on the house, and probably the, the deepest connection we've had has been over the last handful of years when we can work on a house project together. But many of you don't have that type of relationship with your earthly father. In fact, many of your fathers have been abusive or negligent or not even there. They've been totally and completely absent. So the concept of relating to God as a father is not only foreign to you, but some of you it's frustrating, offensive, or just downright hurtful because your experience with a father has been terrible. And I'm sorry for that. That's not the way life was intended to be. A father was brought into your life to be able to provide for you all of the things that you need. And the reality is, is that the relationship between a father and a child is very unique and powerful. And when that father is absent or abusive or negligent, it leaves a great deal of damage in somebody's life. Well, let me just give you an example. There's lots of relationships that we can lose, but nothing like a father. If you lost a best friend in elementary school, it probably sucked, but you eventually bounced back. But not having your relationship with your father in elementary school can leave you with a lifetime of recovery that's more about managing those feelings of neglect and abandonment than it is healing from them or recovering from them fully. So the reality is many of us do not have dads that have set a good example. But one of the many reasons that we understand that our dads aren't perfect or our dads weren't good at all is because we're born with an innate knowledge of who a good father is because we understand naturally who God is. Think about it. If you go to a movie, for example, and you have no expectations for it, it's hard to be disappointed. But if you went to Star Wars Episode Eight, you probably had high expectations for it and were very disappointed as a result of that. I don't know, that was my experience anyway. And so we're born with this innate knowledge of what a good father is supposed to be because it's been bred into, it's not been bred into, it's been born into us. It's part of the fabric of who we are as a created being because God is a good, loving, and perfect father to his children. Now, God doesn't provide for our basic needs all the time in the same way that a father does. He's not going to be, you know, going around the house on Sunday morning making pancakes for you like my dad typically did. But there's this image of God as a perfect father. And when we understand that, we become disappointed with the imperfections in our own biological, earthly, or stepfather. And so we know what a good father should be like because we have an inborn knowledge of what God is like and the way that God actually relates to us as his sons and daughters, which is different than the way a guardian would look over us or watch over you. The last scripture I want to go back to is this, and Paul begins to tie a lot of this together, and he says, And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law of our guardian, for we are, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading the wrong passage, I think. I want to read this passage. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Now, when we read this, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We can kind of get confused because we read modern interpretations into this, and it's it's not overly helpful. So Paul is not talking, he's not making a statement about gender. The concept of gender fluidity was not something that was part of Paul's world. It's not something he's commenting on here. It's not on the table for discussion between he and the Gentile churches. What he's making a point is to say that there are sort of like levels in his society of people, right? There's slaves and there's free people. There's Jews who think they're better than Gentiles, right? And then there are men who believe they're better than women. And what he's saying here is that when we come to faith in Jesus, there's this equalization, this balancing of the field. In fact, there's nothing more radical here in what Paul is saying than the, the way in which he elevates women. And if you look at Paul's ministry over and over again, he elevated women to places of leadership time and time again, which makes it confusing with some of the other passages that Paul talked about that I'm sure we'll get into at some point in the life of Lux. But the important point is that we need to see here is that when we come to faith in Jesus, do we have differences? Yes. But the unity that we find in our faith in Jesus overrides and supersedes the differences that we have. Because we become sons and daughters, equal in standing with one another, whether we're slaves or whether we're free, whether we're Jews or whether we're Gentiles, whether we're men or whether we're women. And you could just go and extend that out to all of the different divisions that are going on in our culture today, whether we're Democrats or we're Republicans, whether we're Catholics or we're Protestants, whether we're this or were that. There are so many things in our world today that seek to divide us, but the beautiful thing about the family of God is that he brings unity where we have only seen division. He brings unity only where we have seen, and it's not about being a good enough Christian, and it's not about doing the right things often enough. It's about being part of the family. It's about embracing faith, having the Holy Spirit transform our lives, and then in that, we come in to this new, blessed, eternal family that is more important than anything that previously divided us. So it no longer matters whether you're vaccinated or you're not vaccinated, whether you're this or whether you're that. What matters is that we share a common bond in faith in Jesus and we've been brought into the same eternal family. And when God looks at us, he sees us as a father would see a son or a daughter. And he relates to us in that way. So my question for you today is do you need to return to your father? Do you need to come back to your dad? Do you need to once again cry out, Abba, Daddy? How long has it been since you have been able to crawl into the arms of the good, perfect, and loving eternal Father? If you've been a follower of Jesus for most of your life, man, it's so easy in life for life to just clog us up just gets in the way. The problems and the difficulties that we face, the obstacles that we have, the nine to five that we're grinding at, the video games that we play, the relationships that are broken in our life, the chaos in our culture, the dissension in our church. It can cause so much clogging up inside of our heart that we forget how to connect 
to our heavenly father, not as some being that we go and pay tribute to, not as some higher power, not as some great clockmaker who's looking down at us, not some kid who wants to stomp us like an ant, not as some dictator overseeing his subjects, but a person who desperately loves his children. How long has it been since you truly related to God like that? And if you've never done that before, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, if you've never experienced God as Father, if you've always viewed Him as angry or always viewed Him as distant or always viewed Him as non-existent, let me just tell you tonight, there is an eternal being, a God, a creator out there who loves you. And despite what you believe about all the rest of the Bible, I don't really care about that. I don't care if you believe in Noah's Ark. I don't care if you believe in the teachings of the church. I don't care if you believe in any of that crap. I just want you to know that God loves you intimately, knows you perfectly, and desires a relationship with you as a father wants to be close to his son or daughter. But a better question is not, Do you want to connect to the father? The better question is, are you prepared to be a child? Are you prepared to be a child? Because I can just tell you, a child is weak and a child is vulnerable. My daughters are entirely vulnerable to me. The reality is I'm bigger than them, stronger than them, smarter than them, quicker than them in every way. And if I wanted to go home and ruin my children's life, I could. If I wanted to mistreat them, abuse them, neglect them, or abandon them and destroy their lives, I'm capable of doing that. That's within my power. Because my daughters are entirely vulnerable with me. And we don't like being vulnerable. We don't like being weak, especially in the presence of God. We don't want to feel that way. We want to experience God as father, but not if that means that God can tell us what to do or that God or that we have to be vulnerable or open to him in any way. See, when my daughters jump off the couch, they jump off the couch knowing that their dad is going to catch them because their dad loves them. When they need something, they know that I'm going to seek to meet that need. When my daughter, my youngest, my oldest daughter has to go to the bathroom, she knows that that she can trust me to help her and I won't abuse her or mistreat her in her moments of vulnerability. Why? Because she knows her father loves her and desires to protect her, not neglect her and not abuse her. So when I discipline my daughter, she experiences that discipline in love, knowing that I wish to guide her, not that I hate her, desiring to punish her. And when we relate to God as Father and we go through trials and difficulties in life, we recognize as a gracious and a loving Father directs His children and guides them towards the life that He intended for them at creation, that there's something beautiful that happens there because we experience the love of an everlasting and perfect Father. But we first have to be vulnerable with our father this is not an if or like a like a a maybe you can do it or maybe you shouldn't do it this is if you want to relate to god as father you have to learn to become like a child you have to become like a child not childish but childlike you have to be you have to learn how to be vulnerable to him 
You have to learn how to let him in. You have to learn to go to God and in the moment of despair, be able to pour out your heart. You have to stop running from the things inside yourself long enough to acknowledge them and lift them up to him. You have to be willing to surrender. You have to be willing to be vulnerable like a child if you want to experience God as a loving father. And I know for some of you that's scary because your fathers weren't loving. And you learned early on that you needed to get them out of your life or fear them or get away from them or avoid them. Because if you didn't, it meant punishment, pain, embarrassment, abuse, whatever else. And so it's very difficult to connect with God as a loving father and be vulnerable with him. But I just got to encourage you to please do that. You have to do that if you want to connect with God as father. And that's our next step this week. This week's next step is I will be vulnerable with my father this week. And I'm not talking about your biological father. Many of you have put your biological fathers out of your life and you have good reason to do that. I'm talking about connecting with your heavenly father. To go to him, not as an equal, but as a vulnerable child. Crying out. Daddy. Tell him where you're weak. Tell him where you're scared. Tell him the things that you don't want to utter to yourself. Tell him the mistakes that you've made. The problems that you've created. Your part in the breakdown of relationships that you have in your life. To be totally and completely transparent and vulnerable. I'm just challenging you. You can't crawl up in your father's lap and climb into his arms if you want to stand with him as equals and talk to him like he's, I don't know, your coworker and not your dad. Our prayer life should look more like a child climbing into the arms of his father. So if that's you today, I want to challenge you. This week, be vulnerable and transparent with your dad. And allow him to softly tell you that he loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Abba. Daddy. Father, the reality is, is there are a lot of things that are less than glamorous in my life. Even with all of the blessing that you've poured out with Lux and the provision that you've displayed, there's some days that I think I'm just out of my mind. There are days when I throw when I throw in the white towel, I I'm afraid. If I'm honest, Dad, I'm I'm more afraid of failing than just about anything else. I'm afraid of failing as a pastor. I'm afraid of failing out of ministry. I'm afraid of failing as a husband and a dad to provide for my family. And often I'm afraid that if whatever doesn't work, that you won't provide. And that we would have to leave this community who we love so much. So I ask you, Dad, to bring me comfort and reassurance. 
remind me of the way that you love me and that you've provided for me and that you're taking care of me. Remind me of the fact that you love my girls more than I do and you're better at protecting them than I am. That you love my wife more than I do and you're capable of meeting her needs better than I am. I lift up each person who's on this stream tonight who's come to church with us here at Lux, that they would be echoing similar prayers, acknowledging their fears and speaking to you, not as a dictator or as a far and distant God, but as an intimate and loving Father who cares for the wounds and the trials and the tribulations of his children, who wants to hear our hearts not our rehearsed prayers. Who wants to draw close to us and comfort us. Thank you, Father, for being a good dad. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us and give us the ability to be good children. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.